You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, we will spend some time together this morning in the Word as we worship. And just by way of reminder, um, even as we gather around the Word, it is still an act of worship uh, because God has given us His Word to hear from Him. And in Scripture, when we see the gatherings of God's people, Uh, We gather mainly for three different uh, tasks, and one of those is to sing together, Uh, the other is to pray, and then finally to consecrate our lives to Him through the reading and the preaching of His Word. So, Ephesians chapter 3. There are lots of things that uh, we need to Uh, talk about, to debrief about together as we think about this crisis in our lives. So many messages uh, that are rolling around in my heart um, that I am just kind of uh, just waiting and and ready to share with you. Um, The Lord has not readied those things yet. There's so many different things that we could choose from this morning to talk about when it comes to this crisis and, and how we continue to live as Christians uh, amidst a, a scattered church. Uh, and so I want to share with those things, share some of those things with you 
in the coming days, Lord willing, as we gather back together. But I am just strongly impressed um, by God's spirit that that we are in need every week of constant encouragement. Um, that the church continue, continue need, continually needs to be encouraged um, as we gather together because this is different and sometimes it's easy for us to get disconnected or lonely or frustrated or um, just kind of depressed when it comes to the life that we're having to live now, uh, separated from one another. We were, we were made for community. And so I just sense a great need to each week encourage you to be the church and that this crisis is not something that just happened upon us. And it's not something that is ultimately for our harm uh, or for uh, an endangering of the church, but rather this crisis was intended by God for our good. So what an opportunity for us to continue to gather together each week for encouragement. Now, last week we were in Psalm 46 to be encouraged about what God is doing in terms of the external circumstances around us. Like how God is being a refuge and a strength to his people and he's ultimately saving us and he's our delight in the midst of it. So God being this kind of external thing around us and doing things in our lives and on our circumstances. But this morning, I I just feel impressed that we turn our attention not to what God is doing around us, although that is important, but rather what God is doing within us internally in this season. And so we were in Ephesians 3 about this time last year, a little bit later, and we walked all the way through this book. And there's one particular text that stands out to me as something that should be revisited. You know, we read these things in the midst of circumstances that are good and easier, uh, prosperous, and, and those things become a, a help to us, but but we sometimes discount how much those times become preparation for the battle. And so as we look at Ephesians this morning, it is a reminder of what God is doing within us. And there's one particular uh, one particular passage at the end of chapter 3 that seems to stand out to me. It seems that in our time of greatest uh, need, that most of the time our greatest concern is what God is doing outside of us for us when it comes to our circumstances. But what if this season in our life is designed for an entirely different purpose? What if this season in our life is for God to do something powerful, not outside of us, but within us? What if this season in our lives is one of the greatest moments the church will ever see in our lifetimes? What if we're being shaken? What if we're being changed at the very core in order that God might do something within us to awaken us to his gospel and to his movement in the world so that he might take us and use us in the world for his glory. I think that that's Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter three. So Ephesians three, as I encouraged you last week, I would encourage you to gather together around God's word, like come in real close together as a family, as you're um, as you're reading together. Now, if you have more than one family, you probably want to keep your social distance, uh, but gather together with your children and let's read together this prayer from God's word. This is Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do make this our prayer this morning. We pray, God, that you would make all of these things so that we read in this passage that we will see in just a few moments. God, that you would give us strength, that you would fill us with the love of your son, that you would fill us with the fullness of God. And as a result, that you would receive glory and honor in the church and in all places, both now and forevermore. Strengthen us now, God, in our inner man. Lord, I pray that even as we are gathered here this morning as your church, no doubt there are others who are listening or who will be listening to this later who do not know Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would move upon their hearts, that you would cause them to realize their sin against you, convict them, Lord. And draw them to repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may they confess you with their mouth and believe the gospel in their heart. And today I pray that they would be saved. That you would be glorified in that. And even as we gather again as the church, that they would find a local church, whether it's here at Southwide or in the places that they may live. And God, that they would confess you before that faith family, be baptized and follow you all of their days. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter three, as you're looking at this passage, it's pretty obvious what the context is or what the structure is of this passage. It's a prayer. You look when he says, I, I bow my knees before the Father. It's a, it's a prayer posture. It's a prayer specifically for the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus was unlike us as we are today. The church at Ephesus was not in any real sense of crisis. I mean, sure, they were experiencing some of the persecution of the Roman government already. But in reality, the church at Ephesus was a thriving church They'd seen a mighty move of God. People were being saved. The whole world was being changed out of out of the hub that was Ephesus, like the gospel was going forth out of Ephesus. In fact, the church at Ephesus might be a lot like what you would have considered the American church just a, a few short weeks ago. Just this place filled with believers who worship the Lord and who are living out their faith and who are evangelizing the lost, at least 
That's who we have been for so many different years. They were in a season of prosperity. And during that season of prosperity, they were living out the gospel. But the problem was that they would soon become apathetic in this life that God had called them to. As we read on in the New Testament, we find that the church had lost its first love or its zeal for the gospel and for God himself. They lost some of that motivation to be gospel driven people. And I I think that the danger is also within the American church and has been for us to become apathetic to the gospel for this deeply rooted apathy to kind of take its place and to be rooted in the church and to gain to gain strength and power and number. So the church itself is not experiencing this season of crisis, but the one who was writing to them was. And I I think that Paul had in his heart this this vision, this knowledge that having experienced the persecution that he was experiencing, that he knew the church was soon going to experience some of this kind of persecution, this this suffering for the sake of the gospel. But we find Paul in a Roman prison cell. He had actually been arrested for the preaching of the gospel. And I think that he has this deep burden, this deep and and weighty burden to prepare the church and to pray for them that these days are coming for you and you need to be ready to live out your Christian faith amidst this kind of a world. You see, I think that we experience that same kind of thing in the timeline of Christianity in America. We didn't experience the crisis of persecution for our faith, but certainly we have experienced one of the greatest crises in our time that we may ever know. In one week, millions of people are without jobs. Restaurants all across our uh, our area, our community, our nation, restaurants are closed, businesses are closed, some of them indefinitely, and many people have lost their businesses. As we think about this crisis in our life, you could you could talk about groceries being in short supply. We we don't know what that's going to look like in the not too distant future. Ultimately, there is a uh, a closing of every major athletic, not only athletic event, but athletic organization. We've never seen that before in the history of our nation This is unprecedented, complete shutdown. The economy is going downhill quickly and arguably will be in the tank very soon. And in the midst of that, maybe for the first time in the history of our nation, practically every church in America has had to close its doors. Now, the gospel has not gone silent. The influence of the church has not stopped. Praise God for these online mediums that we have now to be able to extend the gospel to the ends of the world. But the the, the effects of this pandemic are quickly being felt and they are growing worse every day. Nothing in this world is guaranteed. And so it's from that place that Paul prays. That urgency, that, that burden that he is feeling, an urgency not only about the world in which he lives, but the, the gospel ultimately that he preaches He recognizes the glory and the goodness of this 
gospel and he prays with urgency for the church. And he prays not for external things. You would think that the Apostle Paul would pray for his relief in his suffering. That maybe he would pray for the protection of the church regarding all of the persecution that is around them. But he doesn't pray for those things. Rather, he prays for inward things. Notice this with me. The middle of verse 16. He prays that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith in the internal part of who they were. Verse 19. That you may be filled where filled internally with all the fullness of God. These are internal things. So I ask you again, as you consider this passage and consider your life, what if the greater purpose of what God is doing in your life right now, during this season, perhaps even through this crisis specifically, and yes, through every crisis in your life, what is what if God is doing something within you while he controls the things around you? What if that's God's intended purpose? Well, there are two major themes in this passage that are profoundly linked together. I say profoundly because we see these over and over in Scripture. That is prayer and providence. The the call to be a prayerful people and the call to be a people who trust in the providence of God. A people of both providence and prayer. Those two themes tied together primarily because we as God's people recognize that it is God's providence alone that sustains us. And so any effort on our own is meager. It is it is empty. It's blown around like the wind if it's not dependent upon the Lord in prayer through his word. When we recognize that God is sovereign, we can only be a people of prayer. And I think that that is why Paul begins to pray for the people at the end of these three chapters. But not only that, he has prefaced all of this prayer on one major reality, and that is the gospel. The fact that Jesus has saved us. And I, I wish we had time again to go through, from chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 3. Paul gives us this glorious picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning that, that, that by nature, the Bible teaches by nature that we are sinners separated from a holy God. But God has acted for us. He gave us Jesus. And don't miss this. What Ephesians teaches us is that plan was not a backup plan. It wasn't something God did because He thought, well, there's no other way out of this thing. (laughs) It was a plan that God established from the very beginning. And He initiated. It was all by His grace. And praise God that He came after sinners He pursued us in Jesus, laid down His life in our place in order to be the substitute for our sin. The the wrath of God reserved for us was poured out upon Jesus. And Jesus came like a good shepherd looking for His lost sheep, seeking to save us. And so we praise God for that. 
And in all of that, we recognize that it was God in his grace, in his providence who saved us. And Paul says, I want to rest my prayer on the church, on that reality, the reality of the gospel. For this reason, I bow my knees. So it's only it's only right that he would talk about the providence of God and the prayer of God's people. So in the passage, what you hear is four different expressions of God's providence. Then you see three different prayers for the church, things that we should be praying for ourselves and for one another during this time. So we think about God doing something within us. So three different or rather four different expressions of providence. Verse Beginning in verse 14 and in leading into verse 15, you see the humility of the prayer. Notice the humility of the prayer. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. It's a posture. In verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Having said all that he says about the gospel, he's left with only one response. And that is to bow his knees before a holy God. For when you realize what God has done for us, all that he has done in the gospel, the only response that we can have is in reverence and in humility and in, in, in earnestness come before him, bowing our face and our knee before him because he is a holy and righteous God. You see, grace does not actually puff us up with pride. Grace actually brings us low to our face because we recognize the one who bears absolute authority both in our lives and in the life of everyone else on the planet and over all of creation. And so Paul makes that statement. He says, from whom the... Uh, every family in heaven and earth is named. That's the statement. He's not talking about God being the, the father of all people in, in a relational sense. He's talking about a, a positional sense. The reality that, that from God, everything else that exists flows. God is the, the origin of all things, life and breath. He gives us everything that we have. It's similar to what Paul said in Acts chapter 17. When he says that he gives all life and breath and, and even appoints the places of our dwellings. God is the one who is worthy to be bowed before the humility of this prayer. Secondly, hear the desperation of this prayer. Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he's, he's bowing before God because he recognizes the riches that are in his glory. Which means he seems to be eminently aware of his own lack. The only way that we come before God is to recognize that we come before him bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. He is, he is holy and he is righteous and I have nothing to bring to the table. God doesn't need anything that I could provide for him because he alone is God. He is completely self-sufficient. And yet it is God who gives everything to us in the gospel. He offers us himself. So from the riches of his glory, he provides. We're totally powerless to do the things that we're praying for. But God has all power and all authority to grant what it is that we are praying for. Of course, in accordance with his word and his will. But he is the one who has a power, the power to do that. And when he does, I love this. 
God granting these things for us is from a bottomless well because His glory is infinite. The riches of His glory. And He does so for His sake and His honor. He's not granting us that we might enjoy ultimately the gifts that He gives, but rather that we might enjoy the giver of the gifts. And so He is calling upon God desperately because He has no other choice. Third, we need to hear the faith of the prayer. The faith of the prayer. It says, now to him who is able. I I love that. Don't you love that? He's able. Like we don't have to wonder whether God can answer our prayer. We can trust that God is able to answer our prayer. He has all power and all authority. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So it's not just... It's not just that He's able to provide what we ask for, but He's able to provide far more than we could ever even think to ask for. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus tells us that He knows everything that we need before we even ask. And He's able to do that according to the power at work within us. Other responses as we think about all of the things around us and the things that we pray for, we might be tempted to doubt. As we look at the world around us, we might be tempted to be frustrated in days gone by to become apathetic like the church at Ephesus would become. But this is the position of faith. And it says that whatever God has promised to do by His Word and whatever we pray for according to His Word, that He alone will do. That He's able. And we trust Him by faith. We trust Him. Not in what we see, but in what we know He's promised to do. And then there's one more picture. So faith and desperation and humility, we see all of that in this prayer. But notice the worship of the prayer. It's not that Paul would receive credit for doing anything. It's not so that the church might be uh, might might have its name broadcast across the world. I love that about Facebook Live because you're hearing all of these messages week after week, not only from this pulpit, but from all, all kinds of different pulpits, people who love the Lord and churches who are strong, who are gospel driven, word centered, love God with all of their hearts. I love that. Because now it's not about our name. It's not about their name. It's about the name of Jesus. (laughs) And even when we gather every Sunday morning, when we begin to gather again, it will always be about the name of Jesus. It's always about worship because God is in charge. So when God answers the request of our heart, He does so so that to Him would be the glory in the church And in Christ Jesus. And I love how exhaustive this is. Not just in this generation. It's not enough that God would be honored in this generation. But in all generations forever and ever. It is not bound to generation. It is not bound to time. It is not bound to space. The fact that God is altogether glorious is the truth of the universe from the beginning of time to the end of time and beyond both of those points. Because God is altogether glorious. All of those things are clear expressions of God's providence. So we trust Him. Then we pray. And so what is it internally that 
Paul would desire that the church would be? What is it that drives Paul to his knees? What's so urgent in the lives of God's people that we would pray for this regularly among in, in, in our lives, in the lives of our families, the lives of our children, and certainly in the lives of this faith family? Well, there are three things specifically that Paul prays for. First, he prays that God would give strength to His people, that that He would give the strength of His Spirit to His people. That's what he prays for. So notice it there. He says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He is praying for an incredible strength, a lasting strength that is not outside, that's not dependent on circumstances, that's, that's in fact, to state it positively, completely independent of circumstances. The, the circumstances can do whatever they're going to do. Because internally, the church is strong. This is both individual and corporate. That God's people would be strong and that they would not be strong in their own flesh, but rather that we would be strong in the strength of His Spirit. That in the the very power of God, we would be strengthened with might, with power in the inner man. It's not an outward strength, but a strength that comes from God and God alone. You see, the reality is we are weak in our own flesh. Even as the people of God, when we depend upon our own merit, our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, we are weak. We are without strength. The kind of strength that comes from the inside is the strength that the Word stirs in us. When God takes His Word and His promises and His truth and He plants it deep within our hearts and that Word is strengthened in us so that it produces fruit of righteousness and peace within as God Himself is strengthening the inner man day by day. Therefore, the strength that we need during this season, during this crisis in our life, is a strength that can come from God alone. All of that is through faith, by the way. It's not through your working and figuring it out. It is through faith. The strength that we need to endure what's coming on the outside in this crisis and what may come ever is the strength that comes from God alone by faith. Oh, what a gift that it is during this season. I mean, think about this. You have been given a season in which you no longer can depend on the outside world to be your strength and to grow. You've got to depend wholly upon God. We have so much more time on our hands and God is, God's sovereignty and our need to put faith in Him is so much more plainly obvious right now in this season of our lives. That is a gift. Our grip on this world has loosened Like we have nothing to hold on to right now. And I know that seems so frustrating and so frightening. But the reality is it is a gift from a good God who wants us to depend upon Him. Who, by the way, is the only one we can depend upon ultimately anyway. The Bible teaches that He will never leave us 
or forsake us, who will never fail us, that our God endures, His Word endures, His promises are true, and His presence is eternal. And so we've got to trust and pray that He would strengthen us within. Secondly, we pray that, he would, that we would know the love of the Son of God. We would know the love of the Son of God. Verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Love that. Jesus dwelling in my life now. The Gospel is not something I read in a book only. The Gospel is the very Word of life coming to life within me as the Word is, is bringing forth fruit of righteousness and fruit of repentance. It is God's Word that is bringing forth new life. Bringing forth faith. It's a word alive in me. Christ is dwelling in my heart through faith. And then he says, here's why I'm praying for that. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. See, it's gospel driven. He wants us to know all of these dimensions, the infinite dimensions of Christ's love for us in the Gospel. What kind of love is that? Well, certainly it would be love if Christ laid down His life for good people. If we were people who were worthy of that love, yes, that would be loving and we could be thankful for that. And yet, we're not good people. We are by nature sinners. The Bible teaches that Jesus went to the cross for us, that He laid down His life for sinners. Romans 6 says that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. God showed His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That love is the love that saves us. God's incredible immeasurable love poured out for us on the cross. Not only that, it's a love that keeps us. So we read about this height and breadth and length and depth of God's love. It's a love that we keep experiencing. Romans 8 says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. All of the things that we might think about, danger, sword, nakedness, famine, persecution, distress, tribulation, crisis, illness, Even eternity cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ because He's keeping us. And Paul says he's convinced of it. Not only is it a love that saves us and keeps us, it's a love that shepherds us, that leads us. I love this. Paul says, or rather Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 27, same chapter says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, this kind of a love is a love that surpasses even knowledge. So we pray for this, that we might know more fully the fullness of the love of God in Christ. Pray for it humbly and eagerly and earnestly that we would know more and more of the love of God in Christ. There's one more prayer here. And that is that we would pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God the Father. Again, internal. Being satisfied in His love 
We, we, we know this love internally. Being strengthened in the inner man by His Spirit, we know this power internally. And finally, pray that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. That's internally in the inward man. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says that He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. It's describing Jesus. And it says the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We want to be filled with the fullness of God in Christ. It is first before it is anything else gospel driven. We can't be filled with the fullness of God apart from being filled with the fullness of His Son. No man has seen the Father apart from the Son. We don't get to God apart from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. And so in order to be filled with the fullness of God, we have to know Christ. It's Gospel-driven. He is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then as a Christian, to be filled with the fullness of God in Christ by His Spirit, you and I get to live out who God is. To be filled with His character. Filled with His will and His Word. Filled with His purpose to live our lives in this way. Filled to fullness with God. This is, this is my prayer for you as your pastor. And my prayer for you, if you are listening in, and maybe this is your first time listening in on this podcast, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. That we would desire God and nothing more. Satisfied fully in him. So pray for that. Pray that inwardly we would be filled with the fullness of God and His love for us and that we would be strengthened during this crisis season of our lives. What if? What if during this season of your life God wants to change you more than He wants to change your circumstances? I want to encourage you to bow your heads there in your living room, wherever you may be gathered. As we think about what God's Word has called us to this morning, the Bible teaches us us to be hearers and doers of the Word. Not just hearers only. So what if God is changing you today? What if God is speaking to you about a specific area of your life that He wants to change today? For some of you, you've come face to face with this sovereign God And everything in your life over the last week and a half or so has been totally disrupted. Everything you counted on, everything you thought to be true, shaken, rattled. And if you were honest this morning, you would say, I wasn't prepared. And this God, who maybe even you thought you knew, you don't know at all. You've never... You've never come into a personal relationship with God. Maybe, maybe you've had some cultural experience of God. Maybe you have got parents that, that love Jesus and maybe parents that raised you in church if you're in this area. Maybe you're in an area that you don't even know whether God exists. I want you to know today that our God exists, that He is sovereign, that He's reigning over your life, that He is righteous and holy, and that He now commands all men everywhere to believe the Gospel and repent of our sins and to be saved. 
So if that's you today, if you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you in just the next few moments, the quietness of these moments, that you just simply bow your head and cry out to God for mercy. Ask Him to save you. Confess your sins. Turn from those sins and turn to Jesus who died for you. Confess your faith in Christ who died for your sins and who rose again. And surrender your life fully to Him. The Bible teaches that if you'll do that today, you'll be saved. But if you're a believer listening in to this video this morning, gathered together with God's people, I want to encourage you. What is God doing in this season of your life? Don't waste this season. You could do any one of a hundred different things with your time off of work or with the extra time that you have on your hands, whatever that looks like. Any one of a hundred things. But what is God leading you to? Don't waste this season of your life. Take this time and grow. Be strengthened. And here is my prayer for our church. My prayer for our church is that this would not be a season where Southwide becomes weaker. (laughs) Or where our sister churches around us become weaker. But that this would be a season where the church in America would be stronger in God's Spirit than we have ever been. And that this would be the greatest moment of our lives. Not for our sake, but for the glory of God. I want to pray with you. And then after we pray, there's a uh, decision card. If you've made a decision today, I'd love for you to fill out. Or maybe you make that later in the quietness of your living room. That decision card can be found at mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. All crunched together. Mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. And I would encourage you to go there and fill that out so that we can help you along in your journey. We'd love to talk to you more about the decision that God has placed on your heart today uh, as you follow Jesus with your life. And then let me remind you before we pray that this evening our connect groups are going to be gathering. So Connect groups, if you would check uh, your group on Facebook for those links, we'll be gathering tonight at 6 o'clock as we continue Bible study together and encouraging one another in the Lord. If you don't have a Connect group, check out our website. Contact, uh, you can fill that out actually on the decision card and contact us. We'd love to get you connected with one of these groups so that you can uh, grow in your faith with others around you in biblical community. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do come before you. We bow the knee before you because you are the one from whom we get our life. Not only our, our life, but the life of everyone on the planet comes from you because you're your sovereign, your creator God. So, Lord, we pray that in the midst of your providence, that you would rule and reign on the outside of our lives. That God, we believe that you want to do something on the inside to change us during this time. Specifically, you are doing real, tangible things in our lives. And so God, I pray that you would make it abundantly clear what that is. And as you make it plain, may we be obedient to you. But specifically from this passage, we pray for strength. In the inner man, we pray for a renewed faith as we put our faith and trust in you. And we pray that the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus would be stirred in our hearts through faith.
And then we pray, God, for the fullness of your character, the fullness of your word, the the fullness of your mission, your purpose to be lived out in our lives so that you receive glory and honor in your church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore in every generation. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today for worship. We're glad that you were here. Uh, And again, we encourage you to check us out on Facebook and continue following uh, what God is doing here at Southwide Baptist Church as we worship the Lord together authentically, as we connect in biblical community, as we grow in Christian maturity, and as we multiply disciples both locally and globally. God bless you. We'll see you again at noon for our time of prayer. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.